In your Bibles, please, for our Old Testament reading to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. The priests, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren, The Lord is their inheritance, as he hath said unto them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep. And they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw. The first fruit also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep. Shalt thou give him? For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. And if a Levite come from any of thy gates out of all Israel, where he sojourned and come with all the desire of his mind unto the place which the Lord shall choose, then he shall minister. In the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren the Levites do, which stand there before the Lord. They shall have like portions to eat, beside that which cometh of the sale of his patrimony. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire nor that useth divination, nor an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect, with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken according to all that thou desiredst of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. 
And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. All right, so in the first section, we're going to talk about the Levites. Um, The Levites had no inheritance, and that doesn't mean that they had no land at all. There were Levites that had tracts of land uh, spread throughout the various tribes. As a matter of fact, we will remember this uh, interesting factoid, scripturally speaking. There were two sons of Jacob that became uh, rapacious in the days of, of, of the patriarch when they first came into the land and settled in the land of Shechem. You'll remember those two sons. They were Simeon and Levi. And they used the sign of circumcision as a, as a tool of war rather than as a tool of the covenant. You'll remember that. And so when, when Jacob gave his patriarchal blessing to his sons, With regard to Simeon and Levi, he told them that they were going to be scattered throughout all the tribes, that they would have no sure habitation of their own. Okay, so we'll remember that. Simeon was scattered, mostly through Judah and Benjamin, and had no sure border of his own, no tribal boundary. The same was true of the Levites, but the Levites were spread throughout all the land for the blessing of Israel, because they became the teachers of and ministers, if you will, that that dwelt in every part of Israel. There were Levitical cities, and they were Levitical cities not because they were particularly owned by Levites, but because that's where the Levites stayed to teach the people of God throughout the land. Uh, Some of those Levitical cities were also the cities of refuge. Okay? So there was a scattering that took place. For Simeon, that was not a good thing. For Levi, it was. And so there were tracts of land that belonged to them that were hither and yon spread throughout. Just no particular border. This is where the Levites lived. No, they lived everywhere. But they were at home mostly in Jerusalem because that's where their labors were were mostly used in the sacrificial service uh, with regard to offering sacrifices, with regard to... Uh, the, the musical instruments that were played in Jerusalem during the sacrifices, with the psalms that were sung, there was a 288-member choir, and so on. Of course, here in the days of Deuteronomy, this is, this is long before that, that choir that David had set up, they were still carrying about the things of God as the artifacts of worship traveled from place to place. But they had no sure home. So the Lord said to them, I don't want you to feel badly about that. I am your inheritance, right? And you are mine. I have claimed the Levites as my inheritance. And you'll remember how he did that when he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. He said, okay, now I slew all of the firstborn of Egypt, but I spared all of your firstborn. In sparing all of your firstborn, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the Levites to myself instead, and they'll be mine. And so there was a slight disparity, if you'll remember, between the number of the Levites that ministered and the firstborn of Israel in that day, and there was some, some uh, equity that had to take place there, okay, offerings offered and so on. 
So the Lord said, I have taken the Levites to myself as my inheritance and, and I will be the Levites' inheritance, both. Now we hear, don't we, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that, that not only were the Levites really the priests, but that there's a sense in which every member of Israel was a sort of priest. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Or as Peter will say it in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, a royal priesthood. In other words... There's a sense in which all of the people of God are priests, not just Levites. And what sense is that? Well, in the sense, number one, that we all have an offering to offer, even though it's a private offering, right? We have the, we have the, the competency of the approach of the individual to God with his worship and with his offerings, just like L- Levites do. In other words, if there were no Levites in the land... Could the people of God still worship? Yes, just not with everything that God gave them. Right? Okay, secondly, we are the inheritance of God. And we learned that, I don't know, a year ago, I guess, in a preaching series, where, we were, where God says over and again that, that the people of God are His inheritance. He takes them as His own inheritance. But we learn also, don't we, as children of Abraham, when the Lord brings Abraham outside one night and he, sh- and he says to him, Abraham, Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. I am your shining shield. That is, I'm your inheritance. That as the children of Abraham, we have the Lord for our inheritance as well. And so w- w- when we think of the Old Testament priesthood, yes, there were things that only they could do. But there were other things that they had common with all believers. And the same is true in the New Testament. We are that kingdom of priests. That doesn't mean that we destroy all office. Some have taken that kingdom of priests concept a bit too far, and they've said, no, 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 there, there are no preachers. Everybody's a competent preacher, and so on. Right? There have been groups that meet, they call themselves Christian groups, and there's no officers there. One person stands, gives a word, and then another person stands and gives a word, and so on. That's not proper. We haven't destroyed all office by saying that we are a kingdom of priests. Same was true in the Old Testament. Same is true in the New. Okay, so with that said then, um, they have no part in the land and their, their inheritance then is going to be, notice, because the Lord is their inheritance, he will give them a part of what he receives. And so the the wave breast, the heave shoulder, the, the cheeks, the maw, and all of that, that belongs to them. That's their food. When they are ministering in Jerusalem, the people of God will come and, the, and they'll bring their sin offerings, they'll bring their trespass offerings, they'll bring their burnt offerings, and they'll bring their peace offerings. And a part of the, those, except for the Olah, except for the whole burnt offering, a part of those always belonged to the priest. And when they came to Jerusalem three times in the year, or when they came every three years with their tithe, they also had to include the priest in their tithes because he had no sure inheritance. And because he was a Levite, and now we see the the great election of God, that God establishes officers in his church, because he was a Levite, if he came from anywhere in Israel to Jerusalem, he was automatically included in the Levites that ministered there at, at Jerusalem. He 
performed that same service and he received that same share that they received. Then there's this curious phrase, right, um, that takes place at the, at the end of verse 8. They shall have like portions to eat beside that which cometh from the sale of his patrimony. And what does that mean? Well, it's a very interesting phrase, and as you might imagine, it's, it's obscure enough that there's a division among commentators as to how it's supposed to be explained. But let me give you what I think is the right view. Some Levites came to Jerusalem to, to minister because they didn't have any land back where they came from. And the only way for them, really, to be cared for was to come and to labor in Jerusalem. And when they came, they were received, and, and, and they ate of those portions with the rest of the priests. But there were others, let's say, who had uh, patronymic land, who had the land that they inherited from their Levite father that was attractive land, perhaps large enough to support a family back in any of the cities of Israel. Okay? Well, if he came to Jerusalem... He could sell that land or not. If he didn't sell it, that left it there for him to return to after, say, a tour. And we will remember that in the days of David, he established the courses of the Levites, 24 courses of them, that they would come in for a week or two. Normally it was two weeks at a time, and they would labor, and then they would go back to their land. Or some of them might want to stay and take part in what was going on in Jerusalem. And then there were others... Who, uh, who would sell their patronymic lands, the tract of land that they inherited from their father. Patronymic, that's what that means. It's an inheritance that they received. And they would sell that. Why? What does that say about him? That he is so much desirous of laboring before the Lord in Jerusalem that he's going to give up his land to do so. And notice that when he does that, that's still his property. It's beside the sale of his patrimony that he labors and is paid just like the, 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 the other Levites are with the wave breast, the heave shoulder, the cheeks, the maw, the oil, and the wine, and so on. He's still going to labor with the other Levites and receive for that. And then he also may hold on to uh, his patronymic inheritance. So it's... It, it's an interesting thing. And notice what it says that he comes, let's see, how does it say it? He comes with all the desire of his mind unto the place which the Lord shall choose. That is, that he wants to be a part of what's going on in Jerusalem. He wants to labor before that altar. He wants to labor before, uh, be, before the priest, the, the uh, son of Aaron, and be his assistant as he goes in and out of the Holy of Holies. He wants to do all of that. His heart is given completely to the service of the Lord. So he will sell his patrimony in order to do that. Well, what a, what a wonderful uh, piece of dedication there, right? Okay, so we move on from that then in verse 9. And we have in verses 9 through 14 some things that are said about the inhabitants of the land that the children of Israel are supposed to... Uh, uh, not touch. They're supposed to stay completely separate from. And all of the things that are, that are talked about here are superstitious things, things of superstition. Do you remember what the definition of superstition is? It is an illicit attempt to change providence 
through some ceremony or devotion. I will do this for God and draw him into my debt so that he has to do this for me. Every kind of superstition like that is an abomination to God. It strikes against his sovereignty and his providence. So the first on the list is what? Causing your children to pass through the fire unto Molech. We think of that and we think, ooh, that is abhorrent. And yes, you're right, it is abhorrent. But let's remember that in the ancient world, many of those children that were passed through the, that passed through the fire to Molech were only generated, if you will, or conceived, if you will, and then given birth to through an illicit ceremony to Molech in the first place. I don't want to get too graphic, okay, but you understand what I'm talking about. Temple prostitution leads to the birth of children, which leads to an excess of children. At least some people think that way. And what do you do with those children? Right? We have a much more sanitary way of doing that today. We've all heard this before. Okay, so, but the other part of that that's often forgotten in this because of the abhorrence of it is if you could think of a way to bend the mind of God and to draw him into debt by, by any offering that you could make, what could be more affecting than that kind of offering? Right? And this is the essence of the prophet Micah in chapter 6. What does he say? How shall I approach the high God? Rivers of oil? Ten thousands of bullocks? No. I'll give the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. And of course the answer of the prophet is, He hath showed thee, O man. You don't get to make it up. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require thee but to do, to, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. So that this is the first of the list is not because it's the most abhorrent. It's because that's the first on the list of supposed devotion and superstition. And we need to think of it that way. And then there are all kinds of things that are mentioned after that. Um, Divination, that's, you know, reading tea leaves or cards or something like that. What else is there? An observer of times... That is, what are the stars saying to us today, right? Uh, enchanter, those who, those who uh, use enchantments, probably talking about drugs, potions, and things like that. Uh, a witch, that's a person that uses all of those things. A charmer, a consulter with familiar spirits, that is someone who, who, who uh, claims to be speaking to spirit beings. A wizard, a necromancer, that is those who speak to the dead. And we recognize these things, don't we, in our own society. We've all driven down the street and seen that sign out in front of a building, right? Come on in and I'll read your palm for you. Listen, the only palming going on there is separating you from your money. Okay, remember that. Uh, All of those are abominations to the Lord, I'm often asked by people, well, do you think there's anything uh, spiritual or demonic to it? I'm inclined to think no, but I'm also not going to rule it out as if it cannot happen. But I'm inclined to think no. There's nothing to that except trickery, drugs. That's why the, 
the Greek word that is often translated as sorcery in the New Testament is the Greek word pharmakeia, where we get pharmaceuticals from. Because many times those folks that imbibed in that stuff used potions and uh, tinctures and things like that. And beloved, you know, you have your tinctures, you have your essential oils and things like that. We're not against things like that. But I will say this, that in my own experience, and again, experience is not dogma, but it can be a source of warning for you. In my own experience, I've known at least two, if not more ladies, that at one time having a Christian profession and, and digging into tinctures and oils have ended up leaving the faith and they have become associated with what is today called Wiccanism. They started out, that became the, the, the gateway. They lost sight of the Lord in using those things. Uh, one lady actually uh, kicked her husband out of the house because she went from, from tinctures to the pendulum. And the pendulum told her one day that he was unfaithful. And she made him leave the house. Christian people, right? People some of us used to worship with. Amazing stuff, right? So we need to be careful. When we see all of these things listed like this, we, we must remember that, that while the worst of them are mentioned here, there are other lesser things that can sometimes lead with temptation to these greater things. And we must hold them. We must use them. The Lord has given us oils and tinctures and such things. But we must use them only as means with the Lord himself being the object of their usefulness for us, right? Okay. So what is the commandment then? There are all those negatives. What is the commandment? Thou shalt be perfect, upright, sincere with the Lord thy God. Right? The Lord hath not suffered thee to do so like these nations. And he will say elsewhere that this is why they were run out of the land. That's why they left the land. The Lord uh, judged them and sent them out. <clears throat> okay, so now in verses 15 through 22, we have one of those scriptures where we have a near application and a far fulfillment. A near application and a far fulfillment. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. Instead of all of that stuff, instead of trying to ascertain or change or, or bend the will of God through superstition and all these other things, the Lord God will raise up to you a prophet who will tell you what the truth is. You see the contrast there. It is a stark contrast. In other words, we turn away from all of these natural and elemental kind of things and we turn to the word of the Lord. So the Lord will raise up a prophet, Moses says, like unto me. Like unto me. We're not left to guess who that prophet is. In Acts chapter 3, twice, and in Acts chapter 7, Peter and Stephen tell us who that prophet is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And why would Moses say, the Lord God will raise up among your brethren, or from among your brethren, a prophet like unto me? What was so special about Moses? We have to remember that Moses was a special prophet in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 12 makes that clear to us. You remember Numbers 12? Um, Miriam and Aaron, they get a little bit upset with Moses because he marries an Ethiopian woman. And they murmur 
against Moses. You remember that? Numbers 12. And the Lord says, I put it a little bit uh, dramatically. Moses, Miriam, Aaron, tabernacle, now. (laughs) And here they come. And the Lord comes down and he speaks to them there, all three of them. And he says, when I speak to a prophet, I'll speak to him in a dream, in a dark saying, and in a vision. But I won't speak to Moses like that. When I speak to Moses, I speak to him, mouth to mouth, face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. If that is my relationship with Moses, why were you then not afraid to speak evil against him? Remember that? Moses stood in a very unique place. He's that mediator in whose hand the law came. He stands as a type of Christ, as mediator and prophet. Because Moses spoke face to face with the Lord, but in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was pros ton theon. The Word was with God from all eternity, face to face. And so Moses then is a type of Christ in that he is a unique prophet. Now there will be other prophets that come along that speak by the Spirit of Christ. Peter will tell us that. They spoke by the Spirit of Christ, but there will be that one prophet that comes who is the prophet likened to Moses par excellence. And whoever will not hearken to the word of that prophet, he will be cut off. So then, it is our Lord Jesus Christ that provides the near application to these days of Moses in the raising up of men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joshua and David and others like them. But all of those prophets will give up that title of the prophet to Christ when he comes. Because he is indeed the one who reveals And so then, how does the chapter end? The chapter ends with with a portion that reminds us of another passage that actually adds to it. How will we know whether or not this prophet is a true prophet of God? How will we know? The Lord says, well, if he speaks and it doesn't come to pass, you don't have to be afraid of him. You don't have to fear him. But if it does come to pass, then he's he's my prophet. But that's not the whole story, is it? Because... A few chapters back, didn't we read about a prophet who spoke to them not in the name of the Lord God, but in the name of some other God, and his his prophecy actually did come to pass. But they were still not to hearken unto him because he didn't come to them in the name of the Lord God. And so notice how Moses makes sure that's included in this passage here. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not. Right? Then you know he's a false prophet. If he doesn't speak in the name of the Lord, it doesn't matter if it comes true or not. You never have to listen to that one. And that's how the chapter ends. Let's stand then and continue praising God.